Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we're having to do this via video for a couple weeks while we shelter in place, but hopefully we'll be back together soon. And uh, we've been going through the video series, Behold Your God, on Wednesday nights, but we kind of suspended that. And I thought rather than not have any study at all, we could always pick up where we left off in Ecclesiastes. And so tonight we'll be back in our study of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So you can turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And uh, we'll be looking tonight at the value of wisdom, the value of wisdom. I pray that you're all doing well and staying healthy. And please know we've been uh, in prayer for you all. And we uh, long for that day when we can gather together, which shouldn't be too far out in the near future. And we want to continue to pray for our country, pray for our president and vice president and uh, health officials that they'll make the proper decisions at the right time. But tonight we want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and so I want to uh, read it for us, and we're going to be looking tonight at the first 14 verses, 1 through 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So you can follow along in your Bibles. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind." And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of faith, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is all... This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this text before us tonight in Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote this book, one of the wisest men who ever lived. And tonight he speaks really of the difference between wisdom and folly. And so we, Lord, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word. I pray that you would make this time edifying and beneficial to us within the body of Christ. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, the last time we left off in Ecclesiastes, I don't know if you remember, but it was all the way back in January uh, before we started the the video series that we went through. Um, Tonight, we're going to be looking at the value of wisdom, the value of wisdom. Uh, Back in chapter 6, we talked about evil under the sun, 
And we talked about uh, four, a couple things, three things basically that it involved. It involved the frustration of having everything you want, but not being able to enjoy it. That would be frustrating, have everything you want, but not be able to enjoy it. And he talks about that in, in verse 2 of chapter 6. And then in verses 3 to 9, we saw the, the futility of life when there is no inward satisfaction. No inward satisfaction. We can't look to the world, to things, to material things for our satisfaction. That has to come from God in our own hearts and lives. And then thirdly, we saw the failure of man to improve his situation in verses 10 through 12. That we can't change who we are. Um, we can't contend with God about who he is. We can't comprehend, comprehend what is good for him. And we can't control our future. So we are limited in our abilities. And so he leaves off in chapter 6 of verse 12, he says, who knows what is good for man in life? Well, he kind of answers that question in chapter 7, as we see here tonight. Uh, this is kind of key that it takes us to the next step in our search for wisdom. He answers that question basically in chapter 7 with eight times he mentions the word better. Better is something, something else. He does it in verses 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, and 10. In verse 1, he talks about a good name being better, uh, the day of death being better, the house of mourning being better, sorrow being better in verse 3. Uh, verse 5, he talks about the rebuke of the wise being better. Or verse 8, he says the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Or even, once again in verse 8, he says it's better to be patient in spirit. So through all these, Solomon is really describing who knows better for us in life than we do. And the answer to that question is God. The truth is some things are better than others. We can't forget that. Not everything is the same. But to understand why, we have to see life, not from our own perspective, because sometimes we don't understand why, but from God's perspective. And so what is the value of having God's wisdom in our lives? That's the question we want to ask. What good does it do us? And in this text, we're going to see things concerning the value of God's wisdom. The first point tonight in your outline there is wisdom evaluates the circumstances of life from God's point of view, not our point of view. See, when you begin to evaluate the circumstances of life from God's perspective from God's point of view, you see things in a whole different light. And it helps us do four things if we're willing to go down that road. First of all, it helps us to recognize what is really important in life. Look at what he says there in verse 1. The text tells us a good name is better than precious ointment. What's he doing? He's answering the question, what's really important in life? A good name is character. In Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever, those who are righteous. Or Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. A good name here refers not to the letters of somebody's name, not to the physical name, but it really refers to the character behind that name. Inner character, 
is much more important than outer beauty. We hear that all the time. But sometimes we don't tend to believe it. Proverbs 10, chapter 7 says, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Or Psalm 112, verse 6, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. We want to recognize the fact that God's wisdom is really important in life. It helps us recognize what's important in life. Well, secondly, it helps us realize the value of things in life like sorrow and death. That there is value in those. They aren't always something bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nobody likes to be hurt. Nobody likes to be in pain. But the Bible actually teaches that there's more benefit from being hurt than from just mucking it up with a bunch of laughter. But today in our society, everybody's into take the easy road. We're all about the laughter. We're all about the good times. And we want to run away from death and sorrow. And that may seem logical, but it's not always the best thing. One writer, Charles Bridges, wrote this. Is not the day that will deliver us from sin and sorrow far better than the day that brought us into them? It's better to face the joys of heaven than the sorrows of of earth. See, most of us live under a misunderstanding of life. In our society, we're bent to getting rid of death and sorrow. But guess what? You're not going to. Death is still death. Sorrow is still sorrow. Why? Because God uses death. God uses sorrow in our own lives to teach us more than joy and laughter ever could. God has a purpose in it. It's it's more beneficial in a lot of different ways. It's more beneficial for our instruction, for our consolation, for our even anticipation. You know, a lot of times, until you go through a hard time, you don't really know what it means to anticipate the good times. And so when we acquire God's wisdom, what Solomon is trying to tell us is we'll begin to think differently about life. We'll begin to think maybe a little more seriously. First um, Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 tells us this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, all we suffer in this life is not worthy to be compared to our future glory. And please know that God has a purpose. These aren't just random events that happen in our life sometimes when we, when we suffer or we go through hardship. God has a purpose and a plan. And he says, sometimes it's necessary that we be grieved by various trials so that we can test the genuineness of our faith. So it helps us realize the value of things in life, not just positive things, but even things that are perceived to be negative, like sorrow and death. Well, thirdly, it helps us respond to others as God would desire. Look at verses 5 to 6. Verse verse 5 tells us, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It's better to hear 
hear a harsh word, a harsh rebuke from someone who is wise than just to hear affirmation from someone who is not wise or foolish. The word fool there in the Old Testament often refers to someone who is an unbeliever, someone who is outside of God's purview as far as his grace is concerned. And sometimes, you know, we want to we want to run to the song of fools. The music of unbelievers is foolishness. But sometimes it makes us feel better emotionally. It makes us feel better on the inside. And sometimes we try to listen to those, those words, those songs that come from the foolish, just to affirm us, to build up our egos. And we try to escape the realities of life through them. But in verses 6 and 7... He clearly says here that it's all meaningless. It's all for naught. It, in describing this kind of foolishness, he really draws a, a, a great analogy here. He compares the laughter of fools to the crackling of thorns under a pot. See that there in verse 6? What's he talking about here? It's, it's really a play on words. Because the Hebrew term for thorn and pot sound very familiar if you're actually to pronounce them. And so we can come close to capturing this in the English by saying that the laughter of fools is like nettles crackling under kettles. Whenever we encounter something like this, you need to look at the point of the comparison. In what way is foolish laughter like an open fire fueled by branches from a thorn bush? Well, they sound somewhat familiar. That's what he's saying. The noise made by the crackling of a fire is like the crackling of fools. More importantly, a fire made of thorns usually is short-lived. It doesn't live very long. It doesn't last very long. It maybe flames up really quickly. And that's kind of another comparison with a fool. A fool is, is ready to laugh at anything. And life's a joke. But it's not going to keep burning for long. They're not going to have endurance in their life. See, the way a fire does when it is fueled by logs or burning cool, coals, that, that fuels the fire for a long period of time. And as a result, a thorny burning does not give off much heat. It's just like a poof in the pan and then it's gone. And the more flames you have, um, the longer the flames last, the warmer you'll be. So really, just because you have more flame at first, it doesn't mean that that's going to be a big deal in the end. More flame than fire. And he's comparing that with foolish people. People, He says their laughter does not have very much warmth. It has all the the laughter and, 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 you know, lightheartedness. But it doesn't really do anything. Laughter comes easy to a fool, but it dies out quickly when the hard times come. Uh, one person said, he who laughs the loudest will not necessarily laugh the longest. And that's so true. I mean, Jesus even said himself, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. He said that in Luke chapter 6, verse 25. See, our Savior was thinking of the fires of the final judgment, 
when foolish laughter will perish forever. This fits in well with the serious attitude that Solomon is taking here about life and death. One philosopher said this, there is no cure for birth and death, but to enjoy the interval. So some people try to laugh their way through all of life, all the way to the grave. There was one English poet, John Gay, who said this, life's a jest and all things show it. I thought so once, and now I know it. Thus says the fool. But there's nothing funny about death. There's nothing funny about the hell that comes afterward for anyone who dies without Christ. That's not a joke. And so Solomon here says it much better for us to hear the rebuke of the wise than the laughter of fools. Someone who cares enough to confront us will tell us to get serious about life, to get serious about death. Listening to that constructive criticism of a, of a godly friend can really, in the end, save our very soul. And wise people will say of all the things here that Ecclesiastes has to say. They'll tell us that living for pleasure and and working for selfish gain or striving after the wind. They'll tell us that God has a time for everything, including a time to be born, a time to die. They'll tell us that two are better than one that we've seen throughout the book in facing the toils and trials of life. They'll tell us that because God is in heaven and we are on earth, we should be careful what we say. And they'll even tell us that money doesn't satisfy never will satisfy the yearning of our souls. In short, they'll teach us not to live for today, but to what? To live for eternity. Be wise, therefore, and and go to the places where you can receive wise and life-giving correction. Where is that? Read your Bible. Listen to Christ-centered teaching. Listen to spirit-filled teaching and preaching. Get biblical counsel. Some Spend more time with people who are farther, farther along in their spiritual journey and pilgrimage than you are to be discipled by them. And when you hear something serious about spiritual things, don't laugh it off, but take it to heart. See what God is saying to you. The rebuke of God through a wise man is far better Though it does not give us the quick temporary escape we may be looking for, it's far better than the counsel of fools. And we will grow in understanding when we listen to the rebukes that come from God's wisdom. No matter how much it might hurt when we hear that rebuke, God has a purpose, God has a plan in it. Sometimes we turn to those who give us pats on the head or strokes, they say. And, you know, we don't want to hear the rebuke. We don't want to hear maybe the person who really loves us. We want to hear the person that's just, you know, willing to compliment us no matter what. In Psalm 141, verse 5, the psalmist writes this, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. 
See, you don't want to refuse the rebuke of a righteous man. Proverbs 15.32 says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. We've all met people, and maybe sometimes we're, we're all that person that refuses instruction. We don't want to hear it. But God says we need to humble ourselves, and we need to hear the instruction of the righteous. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 tells us this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, as many sweet things are poison, so many bitter things are medicine. So we need to be reminded that it helps us respond to others as God would have us to respond. But it also helps us react properly to present difficulties and disappointments. Look at what he says there in verses 8 to 10. He talks about life being filled with many disappointments and difficulties. If the end is better than the beginning, we need the kind of of patience that allows us to see life through. Patience will allow us to wait on the Lord. Uh, Remember in Job 42.12, it says this, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. See, the problem with our society today is that we want everything right now. And we're unwilling to wait and be patient. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes, what's it say? Will not be in haste. In other words, we have to practice some patience. Patience is the child of faith. Confidence in God, that God has things under control, will allow us to live our lives in patience. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to be patient. We can't have everything right now. And sometimes when we don't get things, what do we get? We get angry. And you know what the Bible says about anger. Proverbs fourteen seventeen says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Or in verses 15, 18 of Proverbs, it says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs sixteen thirty-two: whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Can you imagine that? It says, if you're able to control your anger, which some of us have problems with, to be quite frank, but that doesn't mean that we just have to be defeated by that. We need to ask God's Spirit to enable us to control our emotions, control our anger, help us not to be hot-tempered or quick-tempered. And it says, you're more powerful than, than one who could take over a whole city if you're able to do that with God's help. See, God has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. Therefore, we shouldn't grow impatient. We shouldn't grow angry when things don't happen in our timing because we know that God has a time and a purpose. So we see where wisdom exalts, or wisdom evaluates, excuse me, the circumstances of life from God's point of view. Well, in verses 11 to 12 of our text, we see where wisdom exceeds the advantages of 
anything we could have here on earth or all of the worldly possessions and security. Now, it's easy to get, get confused here. We begin to look at things that we're acquiring and we begin to think that, boy, these things are bringing us happiness. Wow, I got the home, I got the car, I got the promotion. So now I can just be happy. And see, the tragedy of that is that most of us who eventually get those things in our lives, eventually, we realize they don't bring us happiness. They don't bring us any happiness. The material world is not what solves the problems of the human heart. I mean, Solomon is very honest about this point. In verse 11, he says, wisdom is good with an inheritance, meaning that an inheritance can be good, like wisdom is good. But the excellence of wisdom is that it gives life. Money can't give us life. There's a lot of people that die every day that are richer than any of us would ever dream of being. But guess what? They didn't take one dime with them. We can find that wisdom gives life to those who have it. And that's the contrast with money. Money can't. Money can't give you wisdom. Wisdom preserves life, but money can't. Matter of fact, wisdom, what Solomon is telling us, it exceeds all the advantages of anything of worldly possession that we could have. Well, where does God's wisdom come from? For us, it comes from his word, right? It comes from God's word. The more we know the Bible, the more we know about God's word, the more we will know how to, re, to relate properly to this life we're living and even the world around us. We need God's wisdom, beloved, desperately each and every day. And the minute we forget that, that's when we go off on our own, our own uh, road and end up in a problem. So wisdom evaluates the circumstances of life from God's point of view. Secondly, wisdom exceeds the advantages of any worldly possessions and security that we could ever hear, have here on earth. But look at what he says in verses 13 to 14. He talks about wisdom and how it encourages our dependency upon God and his plans for us. I mean, God has a purpose. God has a plan for us. That should excite us, not frustrate us. How often do you, in your daily life or your weekly life, or even your monthly time period, take time to consider the work of God in your life? I mean, when you do that, you see things quite differently. You, you begin to see things from God's perspective. The wisdom we may gain will cause us to depend more on God and his plan. And there's a couple reasons for this. Three, actually. First of all, because we can't change what God has done. See, when you begin to look at the world through God's eyes and God's perspective, you realize that what he does, he does. You can't change it. And that's what he asked there. He asked the question, who can make straight what he has made crooked? And the obvious answer is no one. No one can do that. Even in Job 33, verses 12 and 13, it says this, Behold, is this, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? See, there are some things that God has done that we cannot change. 
And what does that do? That causes us to depend on him even more because we realize he is in charge. So we cannot change what God has done. Secondly, we cannot control our circumstances. If at no other time in history we see that very clearly with this virus going around the world, we can't control it. I mean, people think we can, but we can't. I mean, our days may never go like we plan them. But you know what? They always go as God has known they will. It doesn't catch God by surprise. See, when times are good, he instructs us to be happy. And when times are bad, maybe times are not so good right now, what does he say? He says, consider this. Are you saying that God has made the one and not the other? Solomon says, no, God has made both. God has made the one as well as the other. If things are going well, we should rejoice, praise the Lord. If things are going poorly, what? Do we go off in the corner and cry? No. As believers, we should rejoice in God as well, because God has made one as well as the other. That's the important point here. That's what he's trying to get across to us. So we cannot change what God has done. We cannot control our circumstances. And then the last point here tonight is we cannot comprehend our future. We do not understand what our future holds. One translation says this, a man cannot discover anything about his future. I mean, a lot of people think, well, if I just go talk to this person or I read my horoscope or I I can see the future. No, you can't. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you did, you'd be very wealthy. You could predict what would happen tomorrow. You could predict what would happen even in the next 10 minutes. You can make a pretty good living off of that. We do not know what will happen tomorrow, let alone tonight or later today. But you know what? God does. God is in control of all these things. And, and this is Solomon's point to us, is that we need, to, we need to rest in that. We need to be okay with that. When we gain insight from God's perspective, we gain his wisdom. And we can rest in the fact that, you know what? Yeah, God is in control. Even though right now, all around us, the world is in upheaval. Economies are turned on their, their heads. But you know what? God has a purpose. He has a plan. I couldn't help but watch Sunday morning. I watched uh, Billy Graham, or uh, Franklin Graham on Fox News Sunday morning in downtown uh, New York City in the park there, Central Park. And basically he had a, a service of hope and the gospel was heard by undoubtedly millions of people through the airwaves. And their hearts and their minds were pointed to Christ. I mean, that's unprecedented. You wouldn't have that at any other time. But God has a purpose in it. God has a purpose even in our social distancing. Maybe it's help us to be still and know that God is God and we are not. And maybe when we gather together once again, we'll realize that, wow, we, we do need each other. And we do look forward to spending time together as the body of Christ. We need to rest that God is in control of all these things. Well, next week we'll be looking at verses 15 
through chapter 8, verse 1, talking about the search for wisdom, the search for wisdom. But I pray that this time together, uh, looking at the value of wisdom here in these 14 verses was beneficial and edifying to you. I know it was a shorter study, but just it's easier to, to deal with uh, videos when they're a little smaller. So that's why they're a little shorter teaching. But um, I, I, w- I want to pray that uh, God will keep you healthy. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to give us a call or shoot us an email or text. And we'd be more than happy to help you out with whatever your needs are. Please know we're praying for you and that we love you dearly and miss our fellowship uh, together as the body of Christ. But uh, hopefully it won't be a long period of time, a couple more weeks, and we'll be able to gather together once again. And we can look forward to that joyous time of uh, fellowship and um, reunion at that time. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for this message from Solomon about the value of God's wisdom, seeing life from God's perspective realizing that things like even death and sorrow have value for us. They help us. And, and Lord, we pray that for those who may be listening right now, who may be struggling, maybe they're going through a really, really hard time. A lot of people are during this time. I pray that they would realize that God is still in control. He will meet your needs and he will bring us through this. We just cling to him. We trust in his providence, his grace and his mercy and his wisdom. And we know that this too will pass in time. Give us the patience as we endure this time as a people, as a nation, even as a church. Lord, I pray that we would not um, forget that we can still pray for each other. We can still reach out and call one another or text each other or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. And and Lord, that that has value. That keeping in touch with each other really um, helps us in this time. But Lord, we we thank you for tonight. We pray for the different needs that may be um, voiced of concern or or need. And Lord, we pray for those. We pray that you would just uh, bless each one um, according to your sovereign hand. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, just give us a good remainder of the week. Help us to continue each day in perseverance in our faith and our love for you. Pray that Christ would be exalted in our lives each and every day. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, after this teaching, uh, we're going to have a short Zoom meeting. So we sent out the email. And so hopefully you can uh, join us for that. And just we thought we'd just spend a couple minutes talking with each other and maybe having a, a time of prayer uh, with a, a Zoom meeting. And so if you're interested in that, please reach out and uh, you can j- join the group. Uh, that'll be probably about uh, 730. God bless you.